Hey, welcome to the Adventure Creator Podcast. This is Kyle Huber, and today I'm joined by Carol Tutil and Joshua Wright to talk about what they describe as the single most important issue in British Columbia politics today, and that's logging specifically of old growth forests. Never heard of an old growth forest? Well, we describe exactly what that is. There's different classifications and we go into detail. Carol shares a ton of statistics and data facts that blew my mind, such as it costs in subsidies and taxpayers dollars more money to keep the forestry industry running than the revenues of the forestry industry. So these policies that are 30, 40, 50 years old, sometimes older, are are outdated. And they're asking for uh, a memorandum to have a discussion around how to create alternative, sustainable solutions. You can't just close the door on the people who rely on this industry. And we talk about how there are alternatives. There are so many different things that can be done to mitigate this problem, to stop the logging of the final 2% or less of old growth in this area. I'm, I'm actually just blown away by the level of commitment from Carol and Joshua. I, I really hope that um, their message and their stories can resonate. I know they did with me. I had chills this entire conversation. I just appreciate uh, people like this, especially those who are willing to put what they believe in above themselves. So I'm going to get out of the way. Here we go with Carol and Joshua. Joshua and Carol, thank you guys so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. And how are you guys both doing? <laughs> okay, as well as can be expected. <laughs> Joshua? <laughs> I'd echo that sentiment. Um, pretty busy, pretty exhausted after 10 months of this, but also kind of optimistic, you could say, or maybe just energized. <laughs> It seems like there's sort of this crux or this climax that's approaching um, with the last stand. And I want to start by just getting a little bit of context for the overall situation in Vancouver Island, specifically in Ferry Creek is primarily what I've been aware of. Um, But just give me give me the high level background of what logging has been like on Vancouver Island in the last couple of decades. Um, a, a clear-cut situation. I mean, really, there's so little left. Um, you know, when you look at somewhere like Vancouver that once had massive trees, and now it's a city. And now we look at Vancouver Island that was once full of, you know, forests, lush forests with massive trees, abundant wildlife, and it's almost gone. I mean, we've got very, very little here, and we have very little in British Columbia. And then yesterday... Um, or no, sorry, the day before, uh, the NDP pulled one of the most, I mean, it's been their duplicious behavior from since before 2017, before they got elected the first time, has been brought to a whole new height. So talk and log will continue. Only now it's talk with First Nations and log rapidly. Yeah, so basically the context is that um, in British Columbia, like across uh, across the West, you know, we had old growth forests that stretched from Alaska to uh, San Francisco, and now we don't. Um, we've been logging them for well over 200 years, or uh, well over 100 years, about 200 years at this point. And um, right now what we're seeing in British Columbia is that we're down to the very last of our primary old growth forests. And these forests are you know, forests with trees that are uh, 10, 15 feet thick, a thousand years old, um, more. Uh, some trees in Fairy Creek, we estimate to be up to 2,000 years old. And they're these last um, section of the of the rainforest that once existed. And you, know, you hear about um, deforestation in the Amazon or in um, Indonesia, but that's really what's happening up here too. And right now we are destroying the last of these forests, the very last of these forests, um, and they'll mostly be gone in the next... Um, five or so years. And um, the context for the, for the blockade starting was we had a government come in, the BC uh, New Democratic Party. They came in and they promised to protect old growth in 2017. And it's been four years and they haven't. And we've lost massive amounts of old growth since then. And now we're down to, we're at, we're at a point where 
um, four years from now, there will be very little left. Um, and there's already very little left. And the BC NDP uh, promised to protect old growth. They did it again in their 2020 election, and they haven't. They've come up with this report that tells them that they need to protect old growth, and they're ignoring the recommendations of that report while promising that they'll implement them in like a few years' time, two or three years' time, once the old growth is gone. Um, and in the face of that, a group of us um, last August sort of had, had enough, and um, Carol was like a part of the initial group, um, and they went up to the top of a mount of a mountain right next to Ferry Creek, where Chilla Jones had road building right into the headwaters of this last intact old growth valley, which means it's never seen logging at all inside of its watershed. The last one like it on southern Vancouver Island outside of a park. And uh, they set up a blockade and they basically said, yo, you can't log in here. Um, and it's it's sort of, um, it stopped the loggers for um, then. And then it's sort of been franchising ever since, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then in April 1st this year, um, the company got an injunction that allows them to start arresting peaceful forest defenders out there. Um, both at Ferry Creek and at all the other uh, logging blockades that we've created around the area to stop old growth logging in other areas. And so far, there have been over 150 arrests in the past, I think, 18, 19 days of enforcement. And um, it's sort of shaping up to be one of the biggest protest movements in history. And unfortunately, uh, the BC government is still not even a little bit receptive. So we're sort of just trying to force the issue as much as we possibly can. How do you define old growth forest? Just for, for me to kind of distinguish, like, what is it? And how do you define it? Okay, um, just, uh, I'll give a quick description there, but I would like to say at the current rate of cut, we probably have less than three years left of old growth forest. So a really important report came out over a year ago by Karen Price, Rachel Holt, David Doust. And in April, 2019, or sorry, April, 2020, in all of BC, we only had 35,000 hectares of forest with very large trees. And then we had 380,000 hectares of forest with large trees. We have wiped out the forest with massive trees. Um, but yet we, you know, we did see a, a huge uh, trunk on a flatbed. It could only fit one piece of a tree. Mm -hmm. Those sort of forests, you know, Vancouver was that sort of forest at one stage. Um, they're gone. So the government and industry describes old growth forests in the interior as forests with trees older than 140 years. And for rainforests, it's uh, forests with trees older than 250 years. But our old growth forests, our old growth rainforests have trees that are 2000 years old, even more so. And these are the huge iconic, um, lush, you know, biodiverse, um, incredible unique ecosystems that have only ever been something like half a percent of the planet in total. That's, you know, the total of these sorts of rainforests. And now we're, we're down to planet, you know, um, on the planet, almost none. I mean, the last of it's here in BC, there's a bit in California, <laughs> a bit in, in, in um, Alaska and well, the more, majority of it was in BC, but um, I don't think that's the case anymore. We've got so little. Why, so why is this happening is one of the questions that I have. Like, what, why cut the old growth when, to my understanding, there's other places that could be cut? Like, what is the incentive? It's kind of because they can, honestly. Like, yeah. it's there. They can make money off of it, so they're going to do it. Like, there's a variety of things, but... Um, one of them is that individual trees, like you know, single log trees that look like redwoods out of the 1940s that no one thinks should be cut anymore, those trees are worth $50,000 easily. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the prices have gone up um, by 100%. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It's double, the economics honestly. of it, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, it's I, the fact that they're ancient, and it's also the fact that the more of the old growth they log now, when we do actually end up transitioning to second growth, the more the bigger the harvestable land base will be, so the more tree farms they can have. Yeah. So it's kind it, of like... And it makes no, no, oh, sorry. go ahead. No, it, it makes absolutely no sense what they're doing, um, but this industry has been highly subsidized for decades. Uh, Dr. Jim Pojar has pointed out that the whole plan is to literally turn the remain, remainder of our forests into tree plantations. So they get to harvest the second and third growth, 
um, like tomatoes. Um, we really don't know how many rotations the trees will have because old growth forests have been there since time immemorial. You know, the soil, everything, the nourishment, biodiversity um, developing ice age after ice age. So what's happening right now in, in lush areas of BC is um, our resources are being mined. Farmers know that um, soil needs to be repleted and, and you know, it, cared for. Um, it, it's a cash crop. We subsidize the road building um, because a lot of logging roads are considered part of the BC transportation system. Taxpayers pay for that. Uh, just the cost to run the Ministry of Forests, revenues from the industry do not cover the cost to run the Ministry of Forests. On top of that, we're now, BC is spending hundreds of millions of dollars, or sorry, municipalities are, to put in water treatment plants. Old growth forests are the best um, water filtration system on the planet. That's just a fact. So um, the courts deem that citizens of BC do not have the right to clean drinking water. We have the right to build water treatment plants. They have to be replaced, they have to be upgraded, maintained, and so on. We now suffer from droughts and flooding. Um, Grand Forks a couple of years ago ended up with $50 million after the town and uh, innumerable houses were literally destroyed, you know, many feet underwater. The $50 million went towards prevention of the next flood and it's a tiny town. So we're looking at, you know, hundreds of watersheds being logged in BC because we're down to that. They're actually logging the um, fire breaks, which all, you know, swaths of old growth forests that used to be left behind by real foresters um, in order to um, prevent uh, forest fire spread. But the big thing is the carbon costs. If we look at how oil and gas is taxed in BC alone, then just logging with the carbon emissions would be a good two to $4 billion in taxes a year. As it is, we are spending hundreds of millions on water treatment plants, uh, more than that on, on flood um, mitigation. We, we don't even know the cost of the droughts that are being created now because we've lost the sponge. We've lost uh, that great regulator of, of our climate. Um, and importantly, now we're spending as much money in bad um, forest fire years as we are receiving in revenue from the industry. $650 million is what we spent in uh, 2000, I think it was 2020 or 2019, now I'm getting mixed up. The year before it was $619 million. Um, the industry, if you look at the charts of the revenue, I mean, some years it's, it's like a few hundred uh, million dollars. I mean, we get less on a, well under a billion dollars a year in revenue and it costs a lot more than a billion dollars a year to run the ministry so easily for the last decade it's a million dollars a day subsidized by the taxpayer just to run the ministry of forests uh, or sorry just subsidizing this industry um over uh, because the costs from the, the revenues just don't cover the costs to run the ministry that's that so there's to so me many is... expenses and there's yeah. there's absolutely nothing being considered for future costs, um, you know, biodiversity be damned. I mean, we're losing our caribou, we're losing innumerable species and um, nothing's being, you know, done to uh, put in species at risk legislation. Um, the, uh, the industry is allowed to get away with behaviors that even oil and gas can't. Oil and gas has to do all sorts of um, assessments and um wildlife studies i mean they aren't allowed to cut down trees during hummingbird um nesting season <laughs> but yet forestry <laughs> you know the number one cause of well the number one carbon emission in canada and that's just bc alone uh this industry emits more carbon than um you know oil and gas and ev every other industry combined and those stats are just quietly put aside they're they're just ignored um, internationally and federally in reporting. It's insane what's going on. Thank you for sharing all those facts and information. That's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed is not the right word, but I've really gotten, I've been able to see what's happening through the Instagram account, Fairy Creek Blockade, because you guys share very detailed bulleted lists with information and call for specific actions. Um, I'm not hearing like some abstract we want something in general. It's like, no, we want 
A, B, C. What are the those things that we're um, really calling for in this short term? Because it, just in this conversation so far, it's very clear that this is an urgent. Um, if something is going to be done, every day that passes is incredibly crucial. So what what's what are the solutions, and how do you, despite all the um, you know, just the, I don't want to say malicious behavior, but just some of these short-term thinking, no, not considering all the stakeholders and the future generations of people in BC, um, the floods you mentioned, all these different things. Like how can, how can you continue a conversation with someone who it seems like has almost just walked away from any sort of, um, civil discussion? I guess that's two questions. So the first thing that we're asking for is um, to keep our options open in a way. And that's to, um, if we log all the old, we're, we're not going to um, have any options. So we need to firstly start off with uh, a moratorium on all old growth logging now and have the conversations. Because if we, if we keep on going for even a couple more years, the damage will be completely irreversible. Um, so we need to stop. And then the BC government needs to come up with conservation financing and economic alternatives for rural and First Nations communities dependent on old growth logging. So that means coming to the table to First Nations and not saying you can log old growth or you can't, and you and you can have money or you can't, but instead saying um, that we're going to come to the table with alternatives. We're going to give you options so that you don't have to log old growth. That's, that's the biggest thing. And that's, that's what we're asking for right now. And then from individual people out there, we're basically asking for people to come out to Ferry Creek if they possibly can to keep up the pressure. Because right now what the BC government's doing is they're basically hiding behind um, being decolonized in a way to uh, say that, oh, we're not going to log, we're not going to put in a moratorium to log old growth um, because that would reflect a colonial history and we need to consult with First Nations and we need to take the time. But really what they're saying is we need like four or five, six more years of the status quo and we'll be done, <laughs> you know? Wow. And right now they're saying, oh, we need to have these conversations to consult, we need to consult. And meanwhile, the, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs is calling on um, the BC government to put in an, um, immediately protect all at-risk old growth areas right now. And the, the BC government's like, well, you know, we need to have the conversations because doing that would reflect, that, that would reflect as like, that, that would be an act of colonialism. And it's like an act of colonialism is logging these forests to begin with. And that's, that's the level we are to. That is the, uh, frankly, the bullshit that's coming out of this government. And right now, um, I guess the only way I see things changing is if enough people get arrested, you know? <laughs> that's really, that, that might be what, what tips it. But right now, we're not seeing anything. But as Carol said, talk and log. They come up with a new policy, they write a new report. And in the meantime, the industry is ripping away full tilt. In fact, logging approvals are up by 43% since last year. And... In part, that might be because the industry knows that they're running out of time and they need to liquidate these forests real fast. Yeah, I mean, it's a 24-hour operation. At the end of December, I was in an area between the Carmana Provincial Park and um, Nitnat Lake and, and, you know, bordering the West Coast Trail. You know, everything logged. Um, at 5 p.m., a Sunday night at the end of December, they put on their floodlights and a new crew is coming in, and this is for hauling the logs. So they're making so much money. Um, these companies aren't invested up here. They're invested down south. They hire out contractors. And now the plan is, instead of all the contractors the big companies are hiring out to, all the little contractors, it's going to be the First Nations. So now that most, I mean, you know, 90, 98% of the damage is done. Um, and it will be First Nations who will take the fall. And of course, our government is create is deliberately negotiating with certain colonially created um, indigenous um, elected governments. I mean, that's imposed by the Department of Indian Affairs, whereas the hereditary chiefs and the people are being kept out of this process. So it's, it's a massive deception. And we had Horgan the day before yesterday um, equating logging by First Nations as somehow honoring all the, you know, the children, the bodies of the children were found at the residential school in Kamloops. That's... You know, it's just absolutely Orwellian what is going on here. And First Nations people are often, you know, <laughs> absolutely squashed their, their opinions. And this is another way of power 
controlling um, what people really want. I mean, nobody in their right sense of mind, except for the industry and government, uh, wants to wipe these forests out. But they actually believe that these are all decadent forests that need to be replaced. This is how insane it is. And 92% of British Columbia want an old growth logging. 92 Say and that again, sorry. I, I didn't. 92% of British Columbians want an end to old growth logging. 92%. Yeah. And the government's ignoring it. And this is this is the biggest issue in British Columbia right now, I'd say. Like this is this is big news. And the government is doing nothing about it. And to be completely honest, I think they're gonna lose the next election over this. Like I think that that's a very real possibility because they are essentially overseeing the destruction of the of an entire ecosystem they're overseeing the annihilation of, of this ecosystem from the landscape in many areas and they're they're hiding behind this rhetoric of you know it's for first nations like that's that's bullshit that's complete bullshit they, I, I saw the article was saying uh like create more access to forestry so like allow more first nations to to log the land is actually like doing them justice essentially it's like yeah that, that that's their attitude their attitude yeah. is we're going to decolonize by turning first nations into the industrial colonizers like that's yeah. it's, it's insane it's absolutely insane and the track we're headed on you know the beast the minister of forest is talking about how you know we're gonna we need to make pellets so that we can ship them all overseas to to Europe to be burnt in pellet mills, um, to be a quote unquote renewable energy source. So we're gonna mow down our old growth forests, so we're gonna burn them and we're gonna call that renewable. Like this is, it's emblematic of the situation we find ourselves in where um, if we stopped to get logging old growth forests, we'd already be in a dire situation and things wouldn't be getting better. Um, mm -hmm. And we're not even stopping logging old growth forests. And we stopped logging old growth forests, there's still be massive amounts of issues. We'd still have a lot of work to do in terms of catch, catching up to the Paris Agreement or creating some kind of a sustainable future and restoring the land base. But we're not even stopping logging old growth forests, which is about the biggest no-brainer in the world. You know, nobody wants to log trees that are a thousand years old unless they're making money from it. And it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And now the BC government strategy is to get the First Nations on side by having them make money from it. And it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's, and so oh, they, they're forced into signing these community benefit agreements that basically state um, they will not, uh, you know, uh, there will be no interference with forestry operations. Community members are not allowed to uh, express dissent. It's incredible what is the, the language even in these agreements. And of course, the community is being kept out of the decision making. First Nations um, do, you know, uh, circle negotiations and, and discussions, but that's being stopped um, and very deliberately. And it's being done rapidly, frankly, for large corporations, so they can keep the gravy train, uh, gravy train going. What's going to happen? Right now, you have all these angry white loggers. Well, and they're frequently unemployed, right? Because it's it's a boom bust cycle. You know, it's always oh no, you know, the logging community's out of work again. Oh, all these poor men. You know, we've, we've got to get them logging again. And and these corporations are playing all sorts of games, just like they do with oil and gas. And what is going to happen now is all these angry white men, frankly, most of them are white, um, will lose their jobs because it's going to be the indigenous folks who are going to be contracted out mm -hmm. to log for big companies through all these agreements. And now we're going to have those really angry white men, who <laughs> many of whom are racist as it is, are going to be taking it out on First Nations. So the scenario mm -hmm. that's being created here is going to be a disaster environmentally, a disaster socially, um, it's, it's absolutely incredible the situation they're creating. That's a dynamic that I hadn't thought of. And I was, one of the questions I was going to ask is what are some of the other negative outcomes that are arising out of this? It sounds to me like there's not a resource problem. There's, if, uh, the industry wasn't subsidized so much, I don't know that much about economics, but it sounds to me like maybe it wouldn't be, um, as financially profitable to to log so even yeah. just removing the taxpayers subsidies of this industry would go a long ways like what are what are some of the alternatives like how how can this begin to be remedied go ahead carol yeah i mean the fact is even in um uh 
teal cedar in TFL 46 is logging double the amount or, or their volume is, is um, of second growth is double that of old growth. And, and, you know, this area is some of the most lush area on the planet. There's a lot of uh, moisture and rain down there. And the problem here is we really don't know how many rotations the trees will get. We do see ghost forests all over BC, you know, mountainsides. And what we're watching right now is the rapid er erosion of our history. These massive skeleton trees are, are, are literally crumbling and falling apart right now. Um, but yeah, subsidies, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we have a prime minister who came to power based on stopping uh, subsidies to oil and gas and proportional representation. And what does he do? Bu buys a pipeline. This government was also promising to stop subsidization, but it's, although it didn't ever say that overtly about forestry, but it was saying it about in um, extraction companies in general, and, and they've upped it. Um, you know, there's people, there has to be some kind of uh, spine in leadership. And what we have is a government that's incredibly two-faced, beyond two-faced. And what I hear repeatedly from people is, oh, why aren't the Greens doing anything about it? I mean, we've got two green MLAs in all of BC, and those two have been busting their butts trying to do something about it. But we have this mentality out there because of media, because of the government's in control of media, um, that, <laughs> that um, oh, nobody's fighting for the cause. No, the government is ignoring the will of the people. The government has the RCMP acting like a paramilitary force, illegally arresting people, pre precluding journalists from getting in there, on a daily basis creating diversions so journalists go to one area while the RCMP go to another area, literally lying to people. Um, and then, of course, we have a, pri uh, a premier who hides behind that saying, oh, the government has nothing to do with how the RCMP does its job, which is absolute nonsense, mm. because Mike Farnsworth would have to okay everything um, or actually help design these plans. And the big thing is that people are so ignorant. People are waking up, but it's too late. Many people, I was listening um, during the walk up to Waterfall Camp, all these people shocked at what clear-cut logging looks like. Uh, this would be a week ago Saturday. And they, so many people don't believe that clear-cutting is still happening and that they think old growth is protected. They believe the NDP BS propaganda. And this is what the NDP did in the 1990s after Mears Island was protected um, and Claycott. They promised to stop old growth logging, that they'd bring in world-class forestry practices, and people believed it. Um, and it doesn't help that NGOs did um, create a deal over the Great Bear Rainforest to stop massive civil disobedience. And look what's happened. Forestry companies have found all sorts of loopholes to log. They've, they've wiped out much of the South Great Bear Rainforest, and they're happily logging away with everybody's attention down here. We are in an absolute crisis. Our wildlife is diminishing um our way of life is going frankly and as far as like what needs to happen um or like what alternatives look like it's pretty obvious like um right now we're gonna run up we're gonna run up against the bound like against the amount of old growth that's left even if we keep on logging it like it'll be gone in a few years and when that happens a lot of people will be out of work all of a sudden because the old growth runs out so what we're facing is we're facing either we do something about it now, we save the last of the ecosystem, and we provide a transition plan for the people that will be affected, or we don't do anything and let them, you know, let them lose their jobs and let the old growth run out. And that's the policy of the NDP. And right now, you know, we're shipping uh, the equivalent of three hundred or three thousand six hundred jobs overseas at, um, with raw log exports. Um, we're using highly mechanized techniques to utterly destroy, mow, mow down these second growth forests. Um, with you know a few people you know in an entire logging operation being employed and there are alternatives we can sustainably log second growth forests in a selective way um we can we can invest in environmental remediation across many areas because honestly our province needs it um and we can also protect old growth and we can you know when we protect old growth that comes with its own benefits you know people want to come out to see big trees so that comes with tourism benefits like there is a very 
there's a there, there's a good jobs argument for protecting old growth. There's a really good jobs argument for protecting old growth. But we're not doing that. You know, right now, um, what we what the government should be doing is providing conservation financing for these forests uh, to rural communities and economic alternatives like tourism, like um, environmental remediation, like sustainable selective second growth logging. But unfortunately, that kind of logging is not the kind of stuff the multinational corporations um, make money off of. It's the kind of stuff that mom and shop uh, mom and pop shops can make money off of, you know, logging over, across a few thousand acres rather than a few hundred thousand acres or a few million acres. Um, and the BC government is, you know, uh, they had a they had a event yesterday or the day before yesterday talking about um, their 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 new vision document for the forest. And not, it was it was a bullshit event, the complete thing. Um, but you, you hear them talking about how they're in conversations with Interfor or Canfor or you know. You know, Western Forest Products, it ha- they were having great negotiations with them. And um, they're talking about these industry players as if as if they're the people that they're representing, you know. And mm-hmm. that is simply not true. These are multinational corporations. Most, Many of them are not even Canadian corporations. And their job is to rape the land base and leave communities with holding the bag. And they have no business being managing BC's force. There's, there's this uh, term called professional reliance, where the industry is out, you know, all environmental regulation and, you know, all of it is outsourced to the industry. So it's like, you know, we the government makes the regulations, but the, the in- industry upholds them. Mm-hmm. So what you have is the industry, like, overlapping protected areas. So it's like they're supposed to protect 10,000 acres, but they put 5,000, you know, 5,000 in old growth management areas and then another 5,000 in wildlife habitat area on top of each other. So they only protect 5,000 acres and they get to log the other uh, 5,000, you know? And you see them logging the buffer strips. You see them logging the retention patches, you know, the areas of old growth that they left specifically for biodiversity. You know, they, they maybe they log, you know, in 2010, they leave some old growth. They come back and they log whatever's left in, you know, 2015. Like that's the kind of stuff we're seeing. And, um, you know, industry keeps on saying, oh, we're sustainable because the trees grow back. But you can't grow back trees that are a thousand years old. You can't grow back that biodiversity. Like that will take thousands of years to develop, literally thousands of years to develop into what it was. And we're we're ignoring that. We're we're mowing them down and industry's lying, government is complicit, and people are angry and they're not being listened to. And that's that's what's hap- that's why things have come to a head at Fairy Creek. I mean you look at a country like Sweden, um, half the size of BC, and um, you know, an approximate similar uh, size forestry base and incredibly profitable, just like Norway's oil and gas biz- or um, petrochemical business is incredibly profitable and the people benefit. In BC, tourism, which gets diddly squat budget, provides many times the revenue of, of forestry. Um, you know, it's something like 1.6% of our GDP. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Tourism provides something like eight or nine times the amount of, uh, you know, c- contributes eight or nine times more to GDP than forestry. Wow. And you look at the cost. Now, Sweden knows, has everything inventoried from seed to the product that's shipped out. In BC, oh, it was given, handed over under professional reliance to the industry in 2001. Prior to that, we did have a forestry service where you could get maps of where the logging was happening. And you ha- you could get, a, I mean, that was eroded over the years, but you could get an idea of what's going on. Now that it's been privatized, literally management of our forests have been privatized. It's very difficult to get information. And, um, you know, most of our forestry base is now um, plantation, um, a plantation operation. So, and I believe they deliberately want to get rid of the history that they want. They want the, you know, all these beautiful old stumps to be grown over, eroded, what have you, so that people won't have the anger. Every generation starts with a low bar and it gets lower. And now we're dealing with people growing up who have no idea what a real forest is like. People come from all over the planet to see Cathedral Grove, which is smaller or about the size of Stanley Park. It's, a, it's meant to be an iconic forest. I mean, it's been logged to the borders of it. There's no biodiversity in there. It's a dying forest. I mean, the trees aren't even well. And they aren't even the biggest and the best trees, as an example. But people crowd there. This little avatar grove, which is something like 15 hectares, 
people come from all over the world to, and, and go up that remote road just to see it. Um, you get busloads of, of tourists. I mean, I've, I've, I've been there when it's riddled with people from Asia. You know, it's invaluable. Over there, people practice forest bathing. Mm. Um, just the therapeutic benefits, the health benefits of that alone um, I'm, would bring down our health, health costs immensely. So the irresponsibility and who's making money? Definitely not the government, definitely not the people. It's corporations. And a lot of it is because we have weak people who get voted in who want to appease their literally corporate masters. And that's what's happening. And we're all going to suffer more so than we are now. And we are suffering now. And wildlife is being decimated. Carol, the, the term that you used, um, the way of life, like your way of life is being threatened. It's, um, I oh, think, yeah. well, I think that's like uh, really interesting. You gave me chills when you said that. And uh, well, yeah, go ahead. You know, now we have forest fires. I live in a town on, on the east coast of Vancouver Island that's never experienced forest fire smoke uh, massively until some years ago, I think it was 2017. You couldn't see three feet ahead of you here in the summer. And this went on for weeks, um, or was it 2018? Then it was worse the following year, and then worse the following year. You know, I had to escape at one stage to the Walbrand, uh, you know, all of Vancouver Island, much of um, BC in the Pacific Northwest was under smoke, extreme smoke. I went into the wall brand. You couldn't see above the canopy, but down below, you could breathe. You know, these trees are everything to us. They're the most precious and biodiverse ecosystem on the planet. It's the last of it. And it's being depleted <laughs> at the whim of government deliberately um, distracting people from what is going on and get, you know feeding us with more and more promises that are false and frankly dangerous uh, while this depletion continues. Um, and like I say, I'm watching these remnant forests, you know, after logging, mountainsides, even in productive valleys, you know, overgrown in productive valleys, um, and of course the soils and so on depleted, but mountainsides are just eroding. You know, it, it's going quickly. <laughs> so people won't know, we won't have the remnant forest to mimic old growth and, and true ecology. I mean, that's what they're working on right now. And most of our parks, oh, all these millions of hectares in parks. Yeah, well, you know, lakes, high alpine valleys, um, bog, <laughs> second growth, that's what well, we're doing. We've got quite a bit of that in our um, old growth protected parks. Mm. And it's very important to note, too, that because the industry has so much control over forestry practices, old growth management areas may be there one year, gone the next because they get to log it. They get to move these borders around. It's beyond tragic and criminal what has been going on. And the state we are in now is, is um, a form of ecocide. And so to complete this ecocide is completely criminal. Uh, it betrays the public and the public will ultimately pay for it. I can't imagine the cost of future generations. And we know that the major cause of forest fires is the forestry practices, clear cut, and then spraying with glyphosate and other chemicals to stop the needed broadleaf and deciduous um, crops from growing. So they even prevent natural, uh, forestry or forest growth cycles after they log it and they'll spray repeatedly and then they say that doesn't affect wildlife. well it's been proven that wildlife is certainly affected um you know they eat the plants they drink from the water that's infected and it affects us if you go to a clear cut um, of one of these forests it's almost like seeing the murder of the earth like it's yeah. it is it is like a graveyard and it is like, you know, you go to, you go to one of these old growth forests and you go into it and it's the most, it's primeval. It's one of the most abundant places in the, in the world. And you can see trees that are, you know, 10 feet thick. You can, the canopies are so high. It's like stepping into a natural cathedral. Like the sound is different. Everything feels different. There's a different, there's everything smells different. 
And, you know, they come in, they flag it, they build the roads, they clear cut it. And, you know, less like a few months later, you come back to the exact same spot and it is parched. The ground is cracked. There's no water anywhere. There's no moss. There's no ferns. There's nothing. It's just pure death. And the mycorrhizal networks beneath the soil are dead. You know, the soil blows away. Um, they burn, they often burn off uh, unbelievable amounts of carbon from these forests when they log them. We lose 80% of the carbon in these forests when they're logged. And then they come in and they plant a bunch of trees in rows, you know, a bunch of Douglas fir, and they grow back. And when you go into the, the, the second growth plantation, you know, 50 years later, there's no, there's no understory. The trees are all like, you know, a foot thick, maybe two, uh, more, maybe six inches. And um, then they come in and the minute those trees even get to be like a foot thick, they clear cut that again. And they come in, they plant, and then they log the six inch thick trees. I'm down in Washington state and here they're logging trees that are 25 years old. That's the point we're, we're getting to, you know, it, it, it's mining, it's mining for forests. And not only do you have the consequences of, you know, mining that you normally have, like, you know, water pollution, but you, but you have the absolute collapse of biodiversity. And, you know, once these forests are gone, we do not even know how many species are still, are undiscovered in these forests because we just haven't looked yet. Um, you know, we're, we're discovering Western screech owls in the Ferry Creek area. And, um, we're just, the more we look for them, the more we find, and um, they're a threatened species, and they shouldn't be logging in western screech owl um, nesting areas, and yet the more we look, the more we find, and it's like the industry, because they're, because they're allowed to self-regulate, aren't even looking for the species they're supposed to protect, so it's like, yeah, they'd risk, uh, you know, a half million dollar fine if they killed one of them accidentally, but if no one's checking, then they can get away with it. Yeah, there's no oversight, and, and thank you. Timber mining. And that's all it is. And it's rapid timber mining. And, and 90% of it gets it shipped off, off, you know, in barges overseas. I want to ask you guys, while I've got a couple more minutes with you, about how you've cultivated this grassroots movement, how you've brought people in, um, how it's remained, to me, from the outside at least, very organized, very nonviolent, very peaceful, loving. I don't see... I mean, I can hear and feel the emotion through the screen here because of, as you said earlier, the, the way of life that you guys have in BC is literally being killed. And I just want to say, uh, I drove around the Olympic Peninsula last weekend and there was a, a 50 mile stretch between um, like Hoquim, Westport area and all the way up to some of these national park beaches clear cuts the entire 50 miles. And I was, uh, my girlfriend was sleeping. So I was just thinking to myself and really contemplating this, this, this site that I was seeing in my home state. And it's, um, I just, I, I want to know after I, I, I talk to me a little bit about how you've grown this movement, but I also want to know how someone like myself who, I mean, Joshua's in Washington as well, but how can I get involved? How can someone participate in this? Um, tie the, tie the knot there, please. Well, for people who, you know, can't get out here, there's pressure government, you know, just keep pressuring um, and industry, <laughs> write reviews uh, of the industries that are, are ruining our, our way of life, our ecology, um, pester, pester, pester. We have a GoFundMe on the laststandforforest.com website. Uh, funding helps. I mean, we do have, now it's over 100 uh, 50 arrestees. I think that stat is a couple of days old at this point. Um, so we have huge costs uh, because we're on remote roads, logging roads, going up and down some pretty rough spots. Vehicles are getting trashed. Um, so we really, we need the bodies and we need, we need the pestering and, you know, uh, go ahead, Josh. I, I guess I'm just too emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm so fed up with it because I've been at it for so many years. And, you know, what's great with the movement is that people are waking up and people aren't, a lot of them aren't paying attention to the government industry, you know, cabal BS. And it is a cabal, I think, by every sense of the definition. Um, you know, people are, are really supporting us. They are saying that the RCMP have been committing all sorts of acts of violence. The journals have been, journalists have been kept kept out that industry is lying about us 
cutting a brake line for an ambulance. I think if we wanted to do something um, like that, then we wouldn't have chosen an ambulance. I mean, that's absolutely ludicrous, but they're coming up with all sorts of nonsense to try and make us out to be violent um, protesters. Uh, we, we, you know, we've had huge groups of retirees up there, seniors for, um, you know, old growth. I mean, everybody, people from all walks of life are involved. And the social media, people like Josh, you know, it's what they're doing with social media, Instagram, that is taking off. I mean, spreading that like mad. But in the more people we can get out there, the better. The more people that are standing in front of the legislature and not letting Horgan and his cronies out, the better. Um, you know, I've been outside my MLA's office on and off for, well, I mean, last summer for years, you know, the different MLA's. But, but you know, they just shut the door and they try and ignore. But maybe we have to take this up a step. You know, maybe we do have to start occupying offices that our tax dollars are paying for and not letting them out of the buildings until they start um, taking this seriously. I mean, it, it's absolutely tragic what's going on. And I, I don't even want to think of what the future will be like. I have children in their late 20s, one's 30. And um, I would be absolutely devastated to have grandchildren at this stage. You know, I'd love to be a grandmother, but I just don't want it. <laughs> That's one of the things that I always say is I really I hope that when I leave this earth, the next generation can have the same incredible experiences going outdoors, recreating or just forest bathing, whatever, just experiencing. I think it's for me, it's been a crucial part of um, my happiness and my fulfillment on this earth as a human being. And um, as we know, parks are getting more crowded, specifically down here in national parks and everywhere you go, you can barely find a campsite. There's a, just yesterday or just that last week, there was a, a two hour line to get into the Ho River gate and the national park. And so as the population of this earth grows, there's and less land accessible. Um, it's a it's an equation that it's going to not lead to access. Yeah, we, we have the same situation here. You have to book a year in advance to get a campground in Pacific Rim National Park. You know, um, any hike around Vancouver is crowded. There are areas of Vancouver where it's like you're downtown Vancouver. There's so many people on the trails. Mm -hmm. And that's from years ago when I was hiking there. <laughs> it's even worse now. People can't even get into some areas to uh, anywhere near the areas to park. So they can't even, you know, go hiking. It's, it's becoming very insane. And they would rather log these areas then leave them for future generations. Joshua, do you have any optimism around what could be possible um, even in the short term? I know this podcast is going to be dated quickly because of how fast things are progressing, but just do you have any optimism about what could happen? I mean, the, just the fact that we're in this situation just is a bit crazy. Like it, it shows how, how, I mean, how bad things really are that we're in this situation. Um, I guess my optimism would be that enough people do come out and that we do force policy to protect some areas. Like that's, you know, if we can protect the last, you know, um, the, uh, the Sierra Club just released mapping showing 1.3 million hectares of sort of the old growth that needs to be protected, whether it's intact or very like big tree old growth. Um, you know, if we can protect that, it won't make things better, but it'll stop things from becoming worse. And you know, we've already lost the ecosystem. That's just it. We've already lost our rainforest. And it's not a very optimistic situation to be in. But like for anybody out there, like this is the most important fight of your life. And we're not, you know, this this is not going to be the first of its kind. You know, that things are not going to get better from here on out. I wish they would. You know, I wish that um, I could like have a life that wasn't activism at some point, but I won't be able to. And Everybody needs to get involved now because if we don't get, if, if everybody doesn't stand up now, then there's not going to be anything left at all. And we're going to see mass biodiversity collapse. We're in, this, we're in the sixth extinction event of life on Earth. Well, this is the biggest extinction event in world history. It's happening faster than um, any other extinction event right now because of humans. And we're just leaning into that. We're not, you know, you'll hear about, you know, the Paris Agreement or like all of these environmental policies that, you know, we're going to, how we're going to shift the way we're living on this planet to sustainable industrialism. We're not doing that. We're leaning into the crash. We're using, we're, we're thinking of all sorts of justifications, but ultimately 
what we're doing is ecocide and unless we stop it we're going to die all of us like that's 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 how it that that's how it works when you kill the planet you live on and you know as far as what, what people can do if you're in british columbia go to fairy creek please go to fairy creek if you're not if you can't go to fairy creek for some reason if you're in ottawa if you're in um in the u.s then still go to fairy creek if you possibly can if you can, if that border can open it's supposed to open on the 21st um if you can't then uh organize a solidarity action um do whatever you can boycott you know follow us on uh instagram or fairy creek blockade and uh also the rainforest flying squad just at rainforest flying squad um and you can keep up with what's going on there you can make calls on there we have a link tree uh in our bio and that has like all of the calls uh scripts that you can do you can read uh email scripts petitions like we're, we're throwing everything we've got at them and 92 percent of people are on our side and frankly i think it's just going to take more arrests than we can count uh for them to listen you know last time this happened in clackwood sound 30 years ago when people stood up um for old growth force there it took 100 or 850 people being arrested for the government to listen and frankly i don't even know if they're going to listen at 850 arrests maybe we'll do we have to do 2000 who knows but whatever it is we need people out there you know there were some days there are 2000 people at camp some days there are 100 and when and and some you know it, it, we do need everybody we can get because everybody counts and if you can't be here and if you can't if you can't really join us at Ferry creek or if you're on the other side of the world, then look in your own backyard because I guarantee someone's going to be destroying an ecosystem there. You know, whether you're in, whether you're in like Colorado and they're uh, they're destroying the prairie, or whether you're um, in the Southwest and they're you know they're putting in more tree plantations. There's there's an environmental atrocity taking place in your own backyard, and we the people need to stand up for it. And no matter who you are, you have the right to stand in the way of industry because industry is on a path of ecocide and genocide against life on earth. And mm -hmm. for those of us who want to have a future, we have to stand up for it. And even then the odds are not in our favor and it has to, we have to resist no matter what, because if we don't resist, then we won't win. But if we do resist, we probably won't win, but we might win. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing here. And that's what I hope everybody does. And that's why it's the last stand. I mean, we have to. And in BC, there's patches of old growth forest in, in a number of spots in BC, including, you know, one of the last interior rainforests um, in North America. Actually, I think we have the last um, interior rainforest in North America, sizable, and that's threatened. Um, all our, our rainforests, and we don't have many, but in the interior, whatever hasn't been logged is now under threat of being logged. Um, you know, there's, there, there's a forest near almost every community in BC. Um, well, not every community, but there's a lot of forests with patches that need to be saved. They're even wiping out the patches of forests, um, you know, just north of Parksville, Qualicum, Nanaimo, you know, near near these cities. So it's it's happening everywhere. It's happening at once, and people need to stand up for themselves, or it will be gone. I think that point is really crucial, having outdoors access near cities, especially for people who don't have the privilege of parents with resources to get them out to the outdoors. Um, I think that's a crucial part of a healthy society and a mm -hmm. crucial part of my life has been able to just walk outside and go to a park, go to a, just something. It um, doesn't necessarily need to be a, an extravagant long trip, but just being able to breathe some fresh air is, is really important. Um, and I grew up with that. I was born in 1962. It used to take all day to drive from Victoria to Nanaimo. Um, it would be really almost a two-day trip to get from Victoria to Tofino. And I remember the, the forest everywhere. Um, it was accessible everywhere. And it's gone now. And now we have, <laughs> we, we have like with cities. And if you leave the city, you're in a sea of clear cuts. And it's almost like the clear cuts began at the edge of the cities. And you have to go really far to the top of mountains at the end of the island to find any old growth at this point. Yeah, and, and they're taking that down. <laughs> and they're taking that down. And, you know, it takes, what, two, three hours, two hours to get to Ferry Creek from, from Victoria. Um, yeah. Yeah, at least. yeah. And this is just the last, like, this is a high elevation old growth forest, like on top of a mountain, you know, at the headwaters of this valley. And they want to log that too. And it's like... Um, 
the old growth logging is happening far away from the cities and near the cities is second growth or third growth or fourth growth and it's it's just a landscape that's not even it's not even an ecosystem anymore it's you know there might be a few raccoons around but there's no yeah there, there are there aren't any like cougars or bears there's not like a real ecosystem there it's it's just it's just a plantation i have a random question but is there a specific tree or a specific area of forest that really you are connected to on on a deep level that stands out when you think about forests and and trees is there one that comes to mind for me it's the unprotected central wall brown it's under threat of being logged all taped ready to go just huge massive trees the cleanest water I drink the water, I, the, the river water, I don't filter it. Never had a problem. You know, see unique species, you see these tiny little guppies that you don't get anywhere else. Um, and we don't know what else is there that we don't know about. But all these forests have unique species. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to the headwaters of Ferry Creek um, because of the, the board has been closed since the movement started. But I do feel a pretty strong connection to, the, to that place, even though I've never been there. But I was actually going to say the Central Walbrand too. Um, there's an area in the Central Walbrand. I remember hiking there with my dad when I was like 15, and we were as we were in the forest, the flaggers were there, and they were flagging trees for logging. Um, and this is this isn't um, the area across the river um, where like Castle Grove and the really big trees are, but it's like another spot. And there's it's like this little tiny helicopter cut block that they want to log, and they who knows they log it any day. Still haven't. Um, and I remember finding in there like a 12 foot thick tree with my dad, and it was you know hollow leaning ancient cedar on this hillside one one of the only like big cedars on that hillside and it was just like holy shit <laughs> you know and i don't know i would i would climb that tree and do whatever i could to save it and you know if they tried to log that and you know maybe i'll get there in time maybe i won't but <laughs> um it's it's crazy to be doing this like it's walk into one of these forests and the idea of logging it is it's it's like it's it's an absolute violation of everything that you feel in your bones and just because some people are able to shut that out in the name of cold hard cash doesn't justify it you know doesn't make it okay and anyone who wants to clear cut these forests should not be in the position to do so because that is pathological yeah uh, and of course even at the top of the fairy creek headwaters we have a tree we call titania I had no idea trees so high up could grow that big. Wow. I mean, it's it's huge. There's huge trees up there, and that and of course that's what they're targeting now. They're they're shearing off mountaintops. Um, so to me, that's it's just so special. And then down at River Camp, there's a what we call the grandfather tree, just massive. You know, the kids just love playing on the fallen trees that go up to it, and you know, it's it's just a beautiful little area. Um, Oh, sorry. I had a train of thought, but I just forgot it. <laughs> no, I just asked because I, I like to really put myself and understand um, just on a deep level um, your connection to the places. And um, yeah, I thank you both, Joshua and Carol, for taking the time to talk to me. I hope this conversation sparks a mind or creates some sort of interest somewhere, even just a splash. And um I look forward to staying connected, helping out in whatever way I can. Um, Joshua, thank you for, uh, we didn't even get to maybe give me a, a minute on how you saw these images on the satellite on, on Google Maps and how this whole thing started because um, I didn't ask about that early on, but I think it's a fantastic story. Yeah, well, back in um, la summer last year, I was using satellite imagery um, from the service called planet.com that gives you up-to-date satellite imagery um, to sort of track the logging going on on Vancouver Island because I'd been I'd been visiting Vancouver Island for years at that point and loved the trees. Um, I spent high school on Google Earth just looking at the last sections of old growth trying to imagine where the big trees are. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've lived overseas because my parents were diplomats and, you know, I'd spent all this time sort of focusing on this place because because Vancouver Island and the Olympic Peninsula is where I feel connected to, where I feel at home. And I just like look at maps and I, I, I knew about Ferry Creek pretty much since the first time I w looked on Google Maps um, because I saw, I was, I think I was looking for Big Lonely Doug or one of those other big trees on Google Earth. And I just saw this, in, this massive section of old growth. And I was like, 
huh, that's interesting. And then, and nobody was really like the ancient forest lines didn't have anything about it. I wasn't, I was like, it was just a valley that was there. And I was like, huh, that's pretty awesome. And um, in June, I think it was, uh, Till Jones got approval to do road building into the headwaters of it. And I did not know what to do. I'd, I'd recently watched as they'd logged um, a section of the biggest trees in the world in the KQs. And I, I reached out to the Ancient Forest Alliance about that before it happened. And I was like, hey, do you want to put out a press release about this or like share some pictures before it? And they were like, yeah, well, there's some pretty big trees in there, but we're waiting to see what happens. And well, they logged it. And now, you know, they're before and after pictures. And I'm like, mm. I didn't want that to happen again for Fairy Creek because I, I was pretty sure it would. You know, I, I could tell people about it, but it didn't feel like anything was going to happen. So a friend put me in touch with Michelle Connolly of Conservation North, and she got me in touch with Carol. And um, I showed her the images of the road building literally on the ridge line up into the valley. And I, I didn't think anything would come of it, to be honest. I thought that, you know, people, you know, people would go up there, look at it. It'd be a, a pity. We'd get some pictures, maybe some publicity. And no, but people set a, a blockade up there and it snowballed. You know, many, many of the, like I was, I've been involved since the beginning in terms of like organizing with the blockades. And, you know, there have been a lot of nights back, especially last fall, where it's like, do we even have one or two people out there? And now we have hundreds and we, some days we have thousands so you know th it's it, this is how it goes you know you 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 work at it for a long time and things eventually come to a head and right now we need every person we can get and we need you to rally your community and we need to not only bring you to bring yourself but bring everybody you know because it's just too important you know you can you can come out here just google fairy creek hq in google maps it'll take you straight there it's pretty much on pavement and um it's safe you can bring your dog you can bring your kids you know bring as many people as you possibly can because we really need this and what, what, what the great thing is is uh, last week um you know the police you know set up these lines saying you know you can't cross or we'll arrest you um elder bill jones who's um who's basically the the, the elder in the pachidate community uh, the indigenous community there um who has invited uh, us onto his territory to protest the logging elder bill jones um uh, walked up to the rcmp and we're like, can you let me through? And they, they, they said yes, because he's uh, a, a traditional er elder on that territory and he has privileges. And he was like, and I'm going to bring my 200 guests. And the RCMP were like, of course not. And he was like, well, doesn't matter. It's my territory. He cut the tape when he told people to walk through and the RCMP couldn't do anything because there were 200 of them, <laughs> you know? And that's what we can see when we have this many people. And eventually, if we get, I don't know what it'll take, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people out there, who knows? then that's really when we might see a paradigm shift and the BC government actually taking us seriously. You know, they say they're in negotiations about Ferry Creek and I think they're disingenuous, but I think that if we do enough, we can protect not only Ferry Creek, but then, but probably the entire 1.3 million hectares of old growth that needs protecting. Um, all we needed to do is stand up and yell loud enough. That's what I think of my optimistic days at any rate. <laughs> but Josh, I have to correct you because we really don't have that amount of productive old growth of what we're considering, you know, the iconic. So I agree, yeah. we need to protect as much as we can, but industry is has been allowed and has been, uh, it's deliberately targeting the biggest and the best treed forests right now. And, you know, at a total of 415,000 hectares, which is a year old stat. So we've lost a lot of that already. Um, it won't be long before that is gone. So, and, and government's very good at protecting um, the smaller stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's another diversion. If we were so, fighting for the protection of bogs, I'm sure we'd have won. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the protection of what? Of bogs and wetlands. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because they're unusable. Because they can't. Yeah, because yeah. they serve no economic purpose. They don't care about them, but they care about they care about the biggest, best trees, which also happen to be the most biodiverse and most carbon-rich sections of forest. Yeah, yeah, they don't mind protecting alpine, you know, high alpine valleys and ridge tops. Well, Carol, thank you, Joshua. Thank you both. I just want to express my gratitude for taking the time to talk today. I learned a ton. Um, and uh, yeah, just keep on doing what you're what you're doing. I know it's incredibly difficult. And I do ask that you, you know, we've just been with you for what an hour and I guess a quarter or whatever. But please, you know, 
give out th this media footage, like spread it far and wide, not just little bits and pieces, you know, get others, you know, spread it. <laughs> yep. This whole conversation will be available on um, the Adventure Creator podcast. I'll send you both links. We'll get it out there. Um, and I will take a couple shorter bits of it and put it on social media. It could be shared at Fairy Creek Blockade or whatever. So um, let me know how I can help. And I'll definitely be circling back to help in other ways in the future. Wonderful. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be, thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, Kara. Joshua, thank See you. you. Joshua. See, bye, Kyle. See you. And that's a wrap on today's episode with Carol and Joshua. There are a lot of different ways that you can get involved. Some were just mentioned and there are some links down there in the description. But if you are interested in collaborating in some sort of way, if you have some idea, whether it's creating content or organizing a, a small or who knows how big uh, get together here, maybe in the Seattle area or elsewhere, please contact me directly. Um, my Instagram is probably the best way to do it, um, which is adventure underscore creator. You should definitely follow the Fairy Creek blockade on Instagram if you're not already. There's um, Joshua is also on Instagram. He's someone that is just wise well beyond his years and driven by a deep sense of purpose and passion for what he's doing. And uh, just being able to cross paths with with Carol and Joshua was is fantastic. And one of the reasons why I love podcasting as a side note, because I, I get the opportunity, the incredible privilege to talk to people like this. I'm reflecting in this moment because I want to take part in protecting the places that make me feel at home. It's got to be one of the most important things we can do as human beings today is to ensure that the next generation and the one after that has the opportunities to go outside and breathe fresh air and not have contaminated water and those to me are the human rights that we should be fighting for. So thank you again. I appreciate so much you being a part of my community. And I really hope to hear directly from you, whether it's Instagram or through my website, kylehuber.com. Thank you so much. And uh, till next time, I'm out of here. <laughs>